okay. I'll leave it to the pros. And boy, do I feel like dancing. So I dare you all not to do the same. Remember, whatever she tells you. common with the Greeks, the Tokens, Kenny Loggins, and Katy Perry? Well, obviously, nothing. But I wanted to get into this episode and do this episode mostly because that's where my producers are headed right now. They are actually in the air from New York, from JFK in New York, to Athens. And they had gone there on their honeymoon a while back. And... They are now taking their daughter there, and they wanted to. They wanted to go there, and they left. They they left here. They flew through New York, and I don't want to say it's connecting because they're not really connecting to anything. I mean, they're uh, one of their one of their mothers is connecting to them, but they're not really connecting to to anything else. It's the same plane. It's just another... They're just picking up more passengers, and I don't know why they have a stopover in New York and JFK, but they do. So, I wanted to do something on Greece for them. And I'm sure if they're... If they're... The hotel they get to, if it has Wi-Fi or the plane that they're on, which I believe it does, has Wi-Fi, they may be able to see this episode pop up when they get a notification. But since they're away and they can't do it, I had to do all the editing. So, even if there's... And editing in the sense that putting songs in and making quippy, smarky, snarky comments and that stuff like that, that was all me this time. So they're unable to do it. So that's why you heard the tokens, Kenny Loggins and Katy Perry. Just because I had a humor streak going. But I'm going to get into a, a battle that most people don't know about. And a popular character that a lot of people a lot of people haven't heard of and 
you know of, well, okay, everyone knows of Themistocles, and everyone has heard of the, or everyone who knows a bit about our history, has heard of the Battle of Marathon, and people know, the Greek history know of that. And it, there's, there's, there's another thing about the, it's, it's called the Battle of Salamis. It's, it's an interesting, interesting history about it. And I did a lot of research and did a lot of digging up from articles they sent me a while back. But things on Wikipedia and other sources that I usually go to. And this is kind of where I dug a lot of that up. The Battle of Salamis was a naval battle between the alliance of Greek city-states under Themistocles and the Persian Empire under King Xerxes in around 480 BC. It resulted in a decisive victory for the outnumbered Greeks. The battle was fought on the straits between the mainland and Salamis, an island in the Saronic Gulf near Athens, and and it marked the high point of the second Persian invasion of Greece. To block the Persian advance, a small force of Greeks blocked the pass of blocked the pass of Thermopylae. Everyone has heard of that name. While an Athenian-dominated Allied navy engaged the Persian fleet in the nearby Straits of Artemisium, in the resulting Battle of Thermopylae, the the re the re the re re reguard the rear the the re oh rear guard. Why am I staring at that word going? How do you pronounce that? It's rear guard. <laughs> the in the resulting Battle of Thermopylae, the rear guard of the Greek force was annihilated, while the Battle of Artemisium, the Greeks suffered heavy losses and retreated after the loss at Thermopylae. This allowed the Persians to conquer Phocis, Boeotia, Attica, and, and Euboea. The Allies prepared to defend the Isthmus of Corinth while the fleet was withdrawn to nearby Salamis Island. Although heavily, heavily outnumbered, the Greek allies were persuaded by the Athenian general Themistocles to bring the Persian fleet to battle again, in the hopes that a victory would prevent naval operations against against the Peloponnese. Persian King Xerxes was also eager for a decisive battle. As a result of subterfuge on the part of Themistocles, which included a mass a message directly sent to Xerxes, letting him know that much of the Greek fleet was stationed at Salamis. The Persian navy rode into the Straits of Salamis and tried to block both entrances. In the cramped conditions of the Sal- of the Straits, the Greek Persian numbers were an active were an active hindrance as ships struggled to maneuver and became severely disorganized. Seizing the opportunity, the Greek fleet formed and scored a decisive victory. What Themistocles did to convince Xerxes that he could proceed into the Straits of Salamis was that Themistocles sent a a spy, a Greek spy, posing as a traitor to the Persian camp. And the spy went into the went into the Persian camp, spoke with Xerxes, and convinced Xerxes that the Greeks were in disorder, 
and were all disorganized and disheveled and couldn't put couldn't put two and two together. And Xerxes and the Persians bit, and they jumped, and that's what led the Persians into being slaughtered. There's an excellent documentary from the excellent excellent documentary series, which I would heavily recommend, Engineering an Empire. There's a great documentary about, I believe it's 1-1, Season 1, Episode 1, about the Greeks and how the Battle of Salamis came about and, and the, the, the structure of, of the triremes that the Greeks used. It's really, really interesting, and I'll post it in the, Facebook's, the podcast Facebook community just so everyone can see it. It's just really, really cool. Xerxes retreated to Asia with much of his army, leaving Mardonius to complete the conquest of Greece. The following year, the remainder of the Persian army was decisively beaten at the Battle of Plataea and the Persian navy at the Battle of of Mycal. The Persians made no further attempts to conquer the Greek mainland, mainland. These battles of Salamis and Plataea thus made a turning point in the course of the Greek of the Greco-Persian Wars as a whole. From then onward, the Greek the Greek Poleus would take would take the offensive. A little bit, little bit of a little bit of a historical background from what I know and from my notes and from Wikipedia as well. The Greek city-states of Athens and Eritrea had supported the unsuccessful Ionian revolt against the Persian emperor, the Persian Empire of Darius the First in 499 to 494 BC, led by the led by the satrap of of Mal, Mal, Malatus, Ar, Aristog, Arist, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. Arist, Aristagoras, Arist, Aristagoras. Sorry, I was looking at the... I'm going to try to pronounce that, so sorry for butchering it, which I probably did. The Persian Empire was still relatively young and prone to revolts amongst its subject people. Moreover, Darius was a usurper and had spent considerable time in extinguishing revolts against his rule. The Ionian revolt threatened the integrity of his empire, and Darius thus vowed to punish those involved. Darius also saw the opportunity to to expand his empire into the fractious world of ancient Greece. A preliminary expedition under Mardonius in 492 BC to ensure the land approach to ensure to ensure the land approaches to Greece ended with the conquest of Thrace and forced Macedon to become a client kingdom of Persia. In 491 BC. Darius sent emissaries to all all the Greek city-states, asking for a gift of earth and water, quote, in token of their, of their submission to him, having had a demonstration of his power in previous, the previous year, the majority of the Greek city-states duly obliged. In Athens, however, the ambassadors were put on trial and then executed. In Sparta, they were simply thrown down a well. This meant that Sparta was also now effectively at war with Persia. A little thing that they don't mention and that you will see in the the documentary and that I'll throw in here is that it's, it's per, it was Persian belief 
that salt water was demonic or salt water was was hated Persians the Persian feeling at the time was that salt water was demonic or they hated it Darius thus put together an ambitious, ambitious task force under Datus and Artaphernes in 490 BC which attacked Naxus before reaching the submission of the other of the other of the other islands the Cy- Cycladic Islands the task force then moved on to Eritrea which it besieged and destroyed finally it moved to attack Athens landing at the Bay of Marathon where it was met by a heavily outnumbered Athenian army At the ensuing Battle of Marathon, the Athenians won a remarkable victory, which resulted in the withdrawal of the Persian army to Asia. Darius, therefore, began raising a huge new army with which he meant to completely subjugate Greece. However, in 486 BC, his Egyptian subjects revolted, indefinitely postponing any Greek expedition. Dariusly, Darius, Dariusly, Darius then died whilst preparing to march on Egypt, and the throne of Persia passed to his son Xerxes. Xerxes crushed the European, the Egyptian revolt, and very quickly restarted the preparations for the invasion of Greece. Since this was to be a full-scale invasion, it required long-term planning, stockpiling, and conscription. Xerxes decided Xerxes, Xerxes decided that the Hellespont would be, be would be bridged to allow his army to cross to Europe and that a cruel and that a canal should be dug across the isthmus of Mount Athos. These were both feats of exceptional amb- ambition which would have been beyond any other con- contemporary state. By early 480 BC, the preparations were complete, and with the army with which Xerxes had mustered in at Sardis, marched towards Europe, crossing the Hellespont on two pontoon bridges. The Athenians had also been preparing for war with the Persians since around the mid 480s BC. And in 480, somewhere in the 480s, 482 BC, the decision was taken under the guidance of the Athenian politician Themistocles to build a massive feat of triremes that would be necessary for the Greeks to fight off the Persians. However, the, the Athenians did not have the manpower to fight on land and and sea simultaneously, and therefore combating the Persians would, would require an, al- an alliance of Greek city-states. In 481 BC, Xerxes sent ambassadors around Greece asking for earth and water, but made the very deliberate omission of Athens and Sparta. Support thus began to coalesce around these two leading states. A congress of city-states met at Corinth in the late autumn of 481, and the Confederate Confederate Alliance of Greek City-States was formed. 
It had the power to send envoys asking for assistance and to dispatch troops from the members from the member states to defense points after joint consultation. This was remarkable for the disjointed Greek world, especially since many of the city-states in attendance were still technically at war with each other. See, the, the thing with the way Greece was established, or Greece was created or built at the time, was there was a, it was a big collection or massive collection in the area of the world of city-states. And each of those city-states wasn't really unified. They were each separate among their own, and they kind of ruled as a bunch of small little countries, if you want to call it that. And they ruled immense amongst themselves of their own people. And while they all spoke, they all had language in common, they all spoke the same type, same type of language, very, very ancient Greek, they were, were unified or united to their own city-state. So they very often... The very often at the at the best case scenario, they very often hated each other and despised each other, and in the worst case scenario, they fought each other. So, to get an alliance between Athens and Sparta was was well was a huge accomplishment, and I guess they had they had had to come to the fact that come come to their agreement or or mutual hatred of Xerxes and the Persians, and that kind of helped them unite. And I guess both Athens and Sparta realized that separately we're not going to be able to fight these guys or fight them as well as we want. But together, if we unite, we can take them down. And as the Battle of Salamis proves, they could. And they did. They... It had the power... This, uh, it had the power. It had the power, and it did to send the envoys, as you've just heard. Initially, the Congress <laughs> agreed. Initially, the Congress agreed to defend the narrow vale of Temp, uh, ne- the narrow valley of Temp, on the borders of Thessaly, and thereby block Xerxes' advance. However, once there, they were warned by Alexander I of Macedon that the valley could be bypassed, though through the pass by the modern, modern village of Sarantoporo, and that the army of Xerxes was overwhelming, so, that the Greeks, so, so the Greeks retreated. Shortly afterwards, they received the news that Xerxes had crossed the, the Hellespont. A second strategy was therefore adopted by the Allies. The route to southern Greece would require the army of Xerxes to travel through the very narrow pass of Thermopylae. This could be easily blocked by the Greek by the Greek hoplites, despite the overwhelming numbers of the Persians. Furthermore, to prevent the Persians bypassing Thermopylae by sea, the, the Athenian and allied navies could block the Straits of Artemisium. This dual strategy was adopted by the Congress. However, the Peloponnesian cities made, made fallback plans to defend the Isthmus of Corinth, should it come to that, whilst the women and children of Athens had been evacuated en masse to the Peloponnesian city of Trozen. Of Trozen, sorry, Trozen. There's no, there's no H there, it's Trozen. Famously, the much smaller Greek army 
much, much smaller ever as everyone who's seen the movies 300 and knows history. The much smaller army, Greek army, held the pass of Thermopylae against the Persians for three days before being outflanked by a mountain path. Much of the Greek army retreated before the Spartans and Thespians, who had continued to block the pass, were surrounded and killed. The, simultaneously, the simultaneous Battle of Artemisium was up to that point a stalemate. However, when the news of Thermopylae had reached them, the Allied fleet also retreated, since holding the Straits of Artemisium was now a moot point. The Allied fleet now rode from Artemisium to Salamis to assist with the final evacuation of Athens. En route, Themistocles left inscriptions addressed to the Ionian Greek crews of the Persian fleet on all springs of water that they might stop at, asking them to defect to the Allied cause. Following Thermopylae, the Persian army proceeded to burn and sack the Boeotian cities that had, that had not surrendered, Plataea and Thespiae, before marching on the now-evacuated city of Athens. The Allies, mostly Peloponnesians, prepared to defend the Isthmus of Corinth, demolishing the single road that led through it and building a wall across it. The strategy, however, was flawed. Unless the Allied fleet was, was able to prevent the Persian fleet from transporting troops across the Saronic Gulf, in a council of war called once, in a council of war called, called once the evacuation of Athens was complete, the Corinthian naval commander argued the fleet should assemble off the coast of Isthmus of the Isthmus in order to achieve such a blockade. However, Themistocles argued in favor of an offensive strategy aimed at decisively destroying the Persians' naval superiority. He drew on the lessons of Artemisium, pointing out that battle in close conditions works to our advantage. He eventually won, th won through, and the Allied navy remained off the coast of Salamis. The timeline for Salamis is difficult to establish with any real certainty. Herodotus pre presents the battle as though it Herodotus presents the battle as though it occurred directly after the capture of Athens, but nowhere explicitly states as much. If the if Thermopylae and Artemisium occurred in September, then this may be the case. But it's probably more likely the Persians spent two or three weeks capturing Athens, refitting the fleet, and resupplying. Clearly, though, at some point after capturing Athens, Xerxes held the council of war with the Persian fleet. Herodotus says this occurred at, at Phalerum, Artemisia, queen of, queen, a queen of H-A-L- I-C-A-R-N-A-S-S-U-S -S. Yeah, I'm going to butcher that if I try to pronounce it, so I'll just spell it like I just did. And commander of its naval squadron in Xerxes' fleet tried to convince him to wait for the Allies to surrender, believing that battle in the Straits of Salamis was an unnecessary risk. Nevertheless, Xerxes and his chief advisor 
Mardonius pressed for an attack. It is difficult to explain exactly what eventually brought about the battle, assuming that neither side simply attacked without forethought. Clearly, though, at some point just before the battle, new information began to reach Xerxes of rifts in the Allied command, the spy that Themistocles had sent. And... The... I lost my place for a second there, as I always do. The Peloponnesians wished to evacuate from Salamis while they still could. This alleged rift amongst the Allies may have simply been a ruse, which history has explained that it was, in order to lure the Persians to battle, which it did. Alternatively, this change in attitude amongst the Allies may have been in response to a Persian offensive maneuvers. Possibly, a Persian army had been sent to march against the Isthmus in order to retreat in order to test the nerve of the fleet. And I can feel in the back of my nose here. Pardon your ears. <coughs> I had to move the mic away from my mouth because the sneeze, as you just heard, just... See, that's when you're doing something. The sneezes only sneak up on you and only occur when you're doing something else. And that's where that was. So I apologize, everyone. Either way... When Xerxes received the news, he ordered his fleet to go out on patrol off the coast of Salamis, blocking a southern exit. Then, at dusk, he ordered them to withdraw, possibly in, possibly in order to tempt the Allies into a hasty evacuation. That evening, Themistocles attempted what appears to have been a spectacularly successful use of disinformation, the spy. And here's a little bit more information on that. I never, I never really knew his name, so I'm going to read this directly from the article. He sent his servant, Sicinus, to Xerxes, with a message proclaiming that, Themis that Themistocles was on the king's side and prefers that your, that your affairs prevail, not the Hellenes. Themistocles claimed that the Allied command was, was infighting, that the Peloponnesians were planning to evacuate that very night, and that to gain victory, all the Persians needed to do was block the straits. In performing this subterfuge, Themistocles seems to have been able in trying to bring about exactly the opposite of what he was saying, or what his servant had been telling Xerxes. To lure the Persian fleet into the straits, which succeeded. This was exactly the kind of news Xerxes wanted to hear. That the Athenians might be willing to submit to him, and that he would be able to destroy the rest of the Allied fleet. Xerxes evidently took the bait, and the Persian fleet was sent out that evening to effect his block. Xerxes ordered a throne to be set up on the slopes of Mount of a Mount, Mount A-I-G-A-L-E-O, overlooking the Straits in order to watch the battle from a clear vantage point, and so as to record the names of the commanders who performed particularly well. According to Herodotus, 
the Allies spent the evening heatedly debating their course of action. The Peloponnesians were in favor of evacuating. And at this point, Themistocles attempted his ruse with Xerxes. It was only when, when Aristides, the exiled Athenian general, arrived that night, followed by some deserters from the Persians, with news of the deployment of the Persian fleet. That the Peloponnesian, at that point, the Peloponnesians accepted that they could not escape, and they so would fight. However, the Peloponnesians may have been party to Themistocles' stratagem, so serenely did they accept that they would now have to fight at Salamis. The Allied navy was thus able to prepare properly for battle the forthcoming day, with the Persians spent the night fruitlessly at sea, searching for the alleged Greek evacuation. The next morning, the Persians rode into the straits to attack the Greek fleet. It is not clear when, why, or how this decision was made, but it is clear that they did take the battle to the Allies. So, as you heard, Themistocles lay the trap, and Xerxes bit. He jumped. He completely... He completely just... Just completely attacked them. Just completely just gave in. He heard. Themistocles gave him what he wanted to hear. He wanted to hear that the Greeks were willing to to subjugate. The Greeks were willing to worship him and fall at his knees. He wanted to hear that. So Themistocles gave him that. Gave him that. And when he got that he just fell head over heels for what he wanted to do. Perfect deception. There's a lot of there's a I can't describe why why No, you got to you got to you got to give Themistocles credit for what he did. For you know, hey, you know, I don't have the forces and the manpower and I don't have the power in general. I can't beat these guys. Now, their strength is on land. And I can't beat them on land. I know that. I knew that before Thermopylae. I knew that. I know that after Thermopylae. I know that. I have always known that. But our strength is in the navy. Our strength is in our triremes. And if you watch the documentary, the documentary will show you how the triremes were built. There's a forward. There's. I don't know what. I can't recall exactly right now. Not that I'm talking exactly how it's made but there's a forward ram underneath the forward part of a trireme and the ram acts so all so all the trireme becomes with that ram the trireme becomes essentially a guided missile there are there's there's three levels within a trireme there's three levels of rowers i can't remember the exact number 60 something 60 this is going to be way off but i want to say 63 is going to be 60-something on top, 54 and 54, in that order. And the rowers on the bottom, their oar ports were only, I believe, 18 inches above the waterline. And that that's enough to, I mean, that's enough to freak anyone out. 
But when you're trying to to conquer the most domineering power in the world, and you're going to succeed by any means necessary, you're gonna you're gonna take whatever you can get. You're gonna hey, I'm only 18 inches above the water. Sweet, I'll take it. I'll go with whatever means necessary. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of really really cool information on this, and it's just it's just really 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 awesome. So. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all for sticking around with me as long as we all have. Stick around for a little more in the end here. I want to check out the most amazing adventure in sports and athletic movies anywhere and everywhere. Check out the Locker Room Flicks podcast on Apple Podcasts and all podcasting platforms everywhere. You'll love it. Want to check out the best travel vlogger and videos anywhere? Go to Atlantic City, Disney, Six Flags, all along the Atlantic City boardwalk, and go to Vegas. Check out the New York channel, N-U-Y-A-W-K, on YouTube. You will be thoroughly impressed and thoroughly entertained. You will love every second of what you're seeing. Go to YouTube and check out N-U-Y-A-W-K. You'll love what you're seeing. You'll enjoy every second of it. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. <laughs>